This is the DLR Cast, the essential podcast for fans of Diamond David Lee Roth. All right, folks, once again, you've got the DLR Cast, your only grass fed, non GMO, all American, artisanal, 100%. Grain free. I don't know where I'm going with this, Darren. It's your it. This is your only, your one and only, your favorite podcast. Buying for fans of the Diamond One, David Lee Roth. Once again, I'm Steve, along with my good friend Darren. And finally, we can kill the rest of this intro. How you doing, Darren? I think that we can add that it's also kosher. It's halal. It's parv. Oh, for goodness sakes. How in all this time, episode 48, 49 episodes, we didn't go the kosher route. My goodness, my friend. And a belated happy Hanukkah to you. And a belated happy Hanukkah to our uh, fellow member of the tribe, Diamond Dave. You know, a person who's listened to at least one episode of the show, DX Ferris, who I co-wrote a book with, he's a big Christmas guy. And he said that David Lee Roth personifies Christmas. And I first said, come on. And then I went, He's kind of right. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most Christmas tree on the planet. And I mean that in the best of ways. <laughs> I like where that guy's head is at. That's smart. <laughs> yeah, but otherwise, hey, we're good. It's always great to connect. And uh, man, we were talking about it off mic, but Dave and another day, another Dave piece of artwork in this weird separated at birth thing Uh, yeah i don't know man like we talked about last episode it's just i hate it when my favorites get all cringy or cringe work you know what i'm saying it's just i just i'm at a loss on this one man i mean you know he posts the artwork i read the comments yeah i mean now it's not well he's not really he didn't really take credit of it credit for it do you really think a bunch of pasadena dudes in 1976 or whatever stoned out of their gourds freaking eddie with all due respect, drinking a, a shit ton of Schlitz malt liquor with Alex and freaking Dave smoking some Long Beach uh, procured bunk weed or whatever he likes to call it. Dave yeah. actually turned to Eddie and said, listen, go linear. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, I like I think it's Greg Renoff that helped unearth the photos of the punk night. Was it punk night at the whiskey where you see the guitar player has the Frankenstein style guitar stripes? And I think that just kind of says it all that, you know, Dave may have had the idea from somebody else, uh, whatever it is, you, you kind of lose some credibility there. And unfortunately, again, we're talking off mic. There's another there's another contradiction or two out there. Well, yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. I mean, just for I mean, if you if if you we won't we won't beat this dying horse uh, too much longer, I guess. But in the last episode, we went through um, uh, Chris Gill really kind of yeah. debunked that whole Frankenstrat Dave sort of thing. Chris Gill, of course, being the co-writer along with Brad Talinsky of the excellent book yes. Eruption. Man, I'm I'm on the Gary Sharon part right now in that book, and I highly recommend that. I mean, it's just a, I mean, a lot of those a lot of those interviews were from Guitar World magazines, but there's some new stuff. It's probably the most in depth, um, in depth interview I've ever read on Gary Sharon's years with Van Halen. That's for sure. And there's some good stuff with Michael in there. So, but getting back to, I mean, Chris Gill really debunked that whole Frankenstrat thing. I don't know why new artwork's coming up here, especially, oh, I don't know. Let's figure this out. We're 2.5 weeks away from supposedly the last fucking shows he's ever going to do. And he's posting up bizarre artwork. Come on, man. Get, you, uh, you know where I'm going with this. Let's see some 
freaking, I don't know, post up some re- rehearsal graphics, footage, another poster, yeah. do some cool shit. I mean, there's four new dates, right? Of which you are now going to, well, what's the, what's, what is the Paltrowitz's travel forecast here? <laughs> uh, we're going to two shows and we, to put it nicely, Ticketmaster software is not the greatest in the world. It's the kind of thing where you're adding seats to your cart and clicking to check out and you get the spinning wheel of death processing, processing, processing. Oh God. And then you go, Oh no. And then you add these two seats and then processing, processing. So I spent on and off 90 minutes to 120 minutes trying to get these seats and I thought I was going to have them all wrapped up before I got on the line with Richie Blackmore's wife, Candace Knight, for our interview. <laughs> there I am interviewing her, and I got past the note by Mrs. Paltrowitz that says, can you tell her to hold on for 30 seconds? And, I'm, <laughs> uh, and I go, um, hey, look, can I hold on for 30 seconds? And I come, you know, I talk, talk to my wife, and I get on the line and go, hey, I'm so sorry. This is really rude. But. I'm trying to buy David Lee Roth tickets. You actually told Richie Blackmore's wife this. I told her that. I left that in the interview. She got a big laugh out of it. <laughs> this is, folks, this is what's called goes on behind the curtain. This is what's called watching the sausage being made. Literally live time. <laughs> yeah, look, let's face it. Roth comes up in some form in probably 75% of my interviews at this point. And <laughs> sometimes it leads to awesome things. I was talking to the singer of the Incubus last week. That one's not out yet. And I'm, I asked him because Brandon Boyd fancies himself a bit of an artist. So I asked what he thought about David Lee Roth's paintings. And then later in the interview, I asked, who's the biggest fan of Van Halen and Incubus? And then he mentioned that the bassist Ben in Incubus, this uh, video of him doing karaoke to Unchained on YouTube that you can find, and he is the biggest fan. So I just figured it's not that out of character for me to tell an interview subject, hey, hold on, I'm trying to buy Dave tickets. Well, you know what? The fact that you bring it up all the time and the fact that you do get an answer from somebody almost every time of some familiarity, if not outright love, goes to show what Dave has been professing for all low these many decades now in some form of another is absolutely correct. And that is what does he say? And I was just watching some Dutch interview at the Pink Pop Festival that you sent me a link to, which is a little bit surreal at times. But what does Dave always has been saying that basically and I'm paraphrasing to a degree that, you know, Dave, i.e. Van Halen, he's been the voice of how many summers for how many decades for how many millions of people. I mean, if you're over a certain age and at this point with classic rock just permeating just about anybody's playlist above the age of 15 years old at this point, no matter what generation you're in, X, Y, Z, W, whatever, you're going to find out, you're going to know, you're going to learn a little bit about Van Halen with Dave. It's just, that's just, you're, you're going to, you're going to absorb it. You're going to probably love it if not like it. So, I mean, give, give kudos to the erstwhile inventor of the Frankenstrack guitar (laughs) under his own brain that he's correct in that point. That interview from the Pink Pop Festival is great. It really is, actually. So much covered in 15 minutes. You don't have to get over three hours like Rogan. And I don't know anybody talking about that interview. Hasn't come up anywhere. What was the name of it? It was, uh, 
down here. It's it has like a some kind of a name that's an uh, toasted, but it's T O A Z T E D toasted. Yeah. And back from 2019, June of 2019, less than 71,000 views so far. David Lee Roth Van Halen interview toasted. You're right, T O A Z T E D. I guess it's some. Uh, it is some uh, channel out of. I'm not even. It, Actually, it sounds like he's a, a bit Dutch, the guy who yes. interviewed him, right? So, yeah, David Leroy tells him that he could tell he has a Dutch aura about ah, <laughs> whatever yes. that means. But that led me to something that you don't know if Roth was lying or ignorant when the the interviewer, we didn't talk about this off mic, the interviewer says something along the lines of, are you going to make another album with Van Halen? 2019, mind you, barely, you know, less than just a little bit more than two years ago. So he basically says, yeah, but I can't say anything. So I'm denying it. He And I'm meeting with the Van Halens next week to talk about what's coming up. And then meanwhile, the interview that I did with Michael Musselman, the former drummer of David Lee Roth, and I think Kane, this also came up with the who's the drummer before Musselman. The residency was in the works since 2018. So did he not know Eddie was sick or did he just want to get people talking? You know, in a, what I'm getting at is, is there the chance because Dave always has done a lot of interviews where the Van Halens did not that they went, we're not going to tell him anything because he's going to tell the world the way that it came out that Sammy Hagar didn't know that Eddie was sick until George Lopez told him close to the end. Yeah, that's what I, I I go back and forth on that a bunch of different ways. I mean, I think in 2019, I don't know the exact timeline. I'm sure some people do. And I was, I was piecing together a little bit of the timeline actually, as I just started the next chapter in eruption, but 2018 was, I mean, I know Eddie had cancer issues in 2018, 2017, 2018. I mean, pretty much right after that last the that last tour that they did with the final shows at the Hollywood Bowl, right? Like, I mean, within the following year, I think it was. So, yes. And it, from what I've read, I mean, I don't think Eddie was doing playing much guitar in 2019. However, was it 2018 or 2019? A lot of those rumors first started going around yes. where Irving Azoff was going to put together this big tour with all the lead singers, or that was what they were planning to do. That came out after. Her, and it was going to come to where the Yankees play, as Roth said in the interview for Inc. the original. I think timelines get super hazy. I think very often Dave's Dave has always played a little, let's just say a little fast and loose with timelines in particular. The yeah. timelines aren't always linear with Dave. There's that word again. And yeah. also there's some hype and some self-promotion there. Keep him interested. Will Van Halen be doing new music? But it's just always been cagey, as we've alluded to a lot of times. I mean, certainly it wasn't like there was a slew of new music rumors and announcement when before a different kind of truth came out. All of a sudden there was a new video out there, right? I mean, it was right. just, I mean, some people knew some, it, it was rumored for a while, but I think even when Dave wants to, he can keep things completely under wraps. And it wouldn't surprise me if he did keep the, cancer thing under wraps. Remember, this is a guy who hated the fact that Eddie talked about his hip replacement surgery back in 96. So yeah. I, I don't, I, it's, it's only recently, and I mean really recently, what, the, since October, where Dave has even talked about anyone's morale, uh, morality, <laughs> mortality, <Me too. laughs> right? I mean, so, yeah. you know, I mean, 
it's only been the last few years Dave's talked about his own health issues and struggles about surgeries and different things on podcasts. And then kind of the weird mention, the w- weird mention, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around here. And I was scrolling through some comments. I can't remember whether it was on YouTube or Facebook or whatever. And somebody did post on one of these comments from a recent thread with whatever, probably from the artwork or somebody, but somebody mentioned the fact that, you know, they thought Dave had or has gone through cancer himself. Yeah. There, certainly there, he has really thinned out dramatically the last couple of years. Yeah. There's, there's rumors out there. That was, there was kind of three camps when he made that announcement. The first was people said that he was sick. The second one was people said he was really affected by Eddie's passing and was going through depression related to that. That was on a podcast that um, I think that was the Metal Edge magazine podcast that came out. And then the other people went, come on, he wants to sell out these shows. This is a business. Yeah, he will be doing a spoken word tour, etc. And I don't think we have any concrete answer as to what the direction is for any of that. Everyone knows different stuff based on different people. It's not very clear who's handling Dave. Um, if you go to his website and you click the part about the press inquiries. By the way, it's press inquiries, E-N-Q-U, oh, yes. not inquiry. That still hasn't been corrected. It drives me up the wall. Well, no, he's British, right? Is oh, that's it, true. Maybe. When you're British, isn't it inquiries just like it's color with the U? Uh, but I, that could be. I, I confess to not looking that up. but Well, he it's Jerry who's on there, who I think is really his accountant. Then on that second announcement that he recently did, he keeps interrupting. He's like, isn't that right, Tom? And then another name comes up in this this British interview. So what I'm getting at is I've heard that Paul Stanley has a team. It's I don't mean uh, Doc McGee in that. I mean that there's a there's an office. Kind of like on Curb Your Enthusiasm, how Larry David has an office that he right. goes to. There's a Paul Stanley office. I'm wondering if there's a Dave office. I'm thinking there is at this point in time. I'm thinking there might not be. Because remember, this is a guy who was doing DLR band CDs in his garage or whatever. There's a real DIY work ethic to Dave, I think. But definitely, I can remember... Oh, God, I, there was a big article. I have it somewhere. I actually have it folded up, printed out in my copy of Crazy from the Heat. But sometime around when they reformed, there was a great, it might have been L.A. magazine. It was, a. it's weird. I have the photocopy, but it doesn't, of the actual article. Mm-hmm. But I, I, from if I remember correctly, the art, it doesn't say on the bottom of the photocopy which magazine from. But it, it was on one of these, it was, I like, I'm re, God, I want to say it might have been Los Angeles magazine. But uh, but really in depth and pictures of Dave. You might have seen this pictures of Dave at his house with road cases around in the overalls. Yes. Yeah. You know, somewhere I think this was after 2007, after the the Van Halen reunion. But they mentioned an assistant there. I think there's always at least one or two people. Somebody. I mean, you get to that size, the amount of mail he's probably still getting, the emails he's got to deal with, um, especially maybe after he had a stalker or two and you got to deal with that shit and. And I mean, I I don't the idea that he's in this mansion in Pasadena all by himself. I doubt. I mean, for a while, I think wasn't his sister living with him for a really long time. I mean, who knows? She could have been helping out with stuff. And he's certainly capable. He's a ridiculously intelligent and smart guy. But yeah, the the family is uh, is around. They they are definitely around. But I think when you live in a house that's that big, and I'm not saying anything stalkery, he showed it off on some different programming on 
is it the Roth show where he walks you down his hallway with all the platinum records and says that that's the foreplay that you're going to get? Well, and then if I remember, it's, God, what, it's, it's so, a great it's, interview where he's got. Big, well, that? I'm just going to finish that up. That That's such a big house. The three or four people could live there on that property and never see each other. Well, it's funny because I remember, I remember that video now. And if I remember correctly, he's got like the front end from the 73 Opal Cadet that they used to drive around to Van Halen bad practice in. Do you know what? Yeah. Hanging on the wall when that car finally fell apart, yeah. uh, that saved it. So, and a lot of palm trees and a lot of uh, tile floors. And and uh, there was a little bit of a tour. I rem- remember that. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just, it's, we talk about this almost every episode. You just, there, if you, if you think he's going to go left, he's going to go right. I mean. Yeah. Right. I, and could, can we talk about my my weird Chemical Brothers related discussion? Yes, yes, because now this is a new segment we're going to call Down the Dave Rabbit Hole with Darren, because this stuff gets really, your investigatory prowess finds some really wacky shit, like Ink the Original, that's not, we don't think anymore. I mean, just weird stuff that you, you find just in your data, I mean, just with the access you have and looking up some weird things in a healthy curiosity, not stalkerish at all, but providing great fodder for our, our little podcast. So well, yes, let's this, go with it. Most of this is public information. You know, you can look up who wrote songs. If right. the person isn't weird and shady and unregistered, their information is out there in ASCAP BMI or CSAC or one of those kinds of databases. So it's looking at some David Lee Roth, registrations and did you ever hear about him and the chemical brothers no okay so one of his favorite bands of all time or at least in the early 2000s was the chemical brothers who one of the biggest electronic groups of all time still playing festivals around the world big arenas depending on the country and dave loved them when i interviewed him in 03 I asked who he wanted to collaborate with. He mentioned Lincoln Park, Blue Man Group, and the Chemical Brothers. So I found this interview from, I think, 2018. It was a BBC Christmas time of year kind of thing with the Chemical Brothers. And they asked, hey, so we heard that David Lee Roth once sent you guys a video and wanted to collaborate with you guys. Did you? And they said, oh, well, he sent us a video of him and his posse dancing to block, rock and beats. And we didn't know what to do with it. And we just thought, huh, that's interesting. And they're like, so you didn't work with him? No. And then that led to a story about how they wanted to work with Bob Dylan. And then Bob Dylan's team said, well, send us a letter of what you have in mind. And it didn't happen. So that's a no. They did not work with David Lee Roth. When you go through Roth's ASCAP credits, there's a song called Scarecrow, written by Roth and the two Chemical Brothers. Hmm. So you then go, is Roth lying <laughs> or are they lying? I dug further, and it's that he took a song by the Chemical Brothers, and then he put lyrics and vocals on top of it, and it's in the No Holds Barbecue. I'm pretty sure that's oh. not, um, bless you. Thank um, you, sorry. Pretty sure that's not how songwriting or publishing <laughs> I'm not going to take a Beatles song and then just sing on top of it and go, well, it was a three-way co-write, me, Lennon, and McCartney. 
But that's what I think happened. And I found another thing or two in there. There's some weird co-writes that say, you know, Roth, Alex Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen. And I saw enough of those that didn't have Michael Anthony's name on it. And I finally realized they did take his name off all the 1984 songs. Only those. That's a real weird one. That's a real. That's a real weird one. I mean, because especially if not from the previous five records, but why just that album? Because it was the biggest selling Van Halen record of all time. I mean, you know, I mean, they always Michael probably. I mean, I think it's safe to say had little, very little involvement of the actual songwriting process, but they were very democratic about all that time. Yeah. The the band is like, and and that comes up a couple times in the book Eruption. I mean. Eddie always looked at the band. This is family. This is a team. This is it's. He, it was very democratic. Let's split it four ways. We don't have to deal with the bullshit. Well, hindsight being twenty twenty, there was a lot of songwriting, royalty, and publishing bullshit that they all dealt with, and they cut out Michael. I think it's safe to say, and you saw it firsthand. Yeah, it's it's pretty surprising that that is true. That's not just fodder. I've heard of uh, a former bass player in Blondie who is a friend of a friend, that kind of a thing. I asked him something and it turned out that Blondie revised some of the songwriting credits seven or eight years ago that I think one way or another, they added Clem Burke, the drummer on there. I didn't know that you can revise songwriting credits without lawsuits like that. So I'm wondering how many of our classic bands that kind of happened that over time they had to change songwriting splits or publishing to make somebody happy or <laughs> do something related to a business agreement yeah that's that's really some deep arcane stuff there and and that is yeah oh, boy and it's interesting how where that's all going to go with people selling song catalogs and the whole bit I mean, that, who knows? You might see more of that stuff happening. It's a preemptive, right? Because someone's going to yeah. be striking a really uh, large ass deal to sell off, uh, sell off those their rights or whatever. So, yeah, man. There's All right. Other weird stuff in that ass cap thing, but we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> All right. So as usual, the king of transition and segues. Speaking of some weird legal stuff and things like that. You don't really get into it too much at all with uh, you don't get into it with this week's interview, but uh, certainly has been no stranger all this fun stuff. And that is Stephen Pierce of Rats. This week's interview. I I myself am a huge rat fan. All those L.A. bands out of that post Van Halen wave of L.A. bands. I rat to me always. I always liked them more. Just, I mean, there was that Rat vs. Motley Crue thing. I mean, I just, I, I, I love that Big Bow Hill sound. I like the songs. I mean, all, all of their albums. And Piercey's uh, raspy, uh, raspy, not always uh, in pitch live voice. No knock on that. Uh, but, uh, and he's a good songwriter. I've got some of his solo stuff. So great interview. Kudos and. He goes back a ways. He he came up. We'll get into this in a second, but he he knows Dave. Yeah, he. There's so many so many tie-ins right here. Not only did he know Dave and Eddie, not only did Frankie Lindia, who we might hear on a future episode, he played yes. Roth in early 2020. After Roth, what band did he join? He joined Rat. We saw uh, Terry Kilgore co-write. On the Detonator Rat album. Uh, now. <laughs> he did? I got to dig that up because I have that album and listen to it all the time. But 
that I, that doesn't mean, as you're going to hear in this interview, that doesn't mean that Stephen knows who, Stephen, who, who Terry Kilgore is. That he doesn't remember. He, I'm kind of surprised he doesn't. Well, that's that's been something that's coming up uh, lately. I've been asking people who know Roth about Terry Kilgore, and a few of the people have gone, yeah, I don't know who that is. And I heard this great long interview with Terry Kilgore on – uh, another podcast, I believe it's called Dave and Dave Unchained. Have you ever heard that one? No. How old is that podcast or the interview? Probably two, three years ago. Wow. So it's somebody found him. Extensive interview. And I got to say, Terry Kilgore talks faster than you, me, or Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, the well. Not to get too far off on the Kilgore sidebar, but the interesting thing about that is when he showed up on the Filthy Little Mouth album and then later yeah. the DLR band album and, and as play, uh, you know, it, it was common knowledge. Everybody said, oh, this is the guy that Dave played with and came up with. And yeah. a lot of people made the claim that he was doing the tapping thing before Eddie, which I don't believe because he certainly never did it on record and never did it on the Your Filthy Little Mouth tour. But he was... Well, or I shouldn't say that. Maybe he did on the Van Halen songs. I'm not sure. Let's, he didn't do. Um, he didn't do it on the Your Filthy Little Mouth album. Certainly didn't have any kind of. I mean, you would never call the guy an Eddie clone, or would have sounded like he came no. up. No. Definitely more of a bluesy sort of player. But you know, he's got a lot of co-writing credits with Dave, and he's he's probably. I mean, didn't we figure this out? He's been on more Dave records than any other guitar player. That would make sense. I uh, I think. We learned through the Rocket interview that he was in and out of the band three times. Yeah. And that that Dave and Dave Unchained interview gets into that a little bit. You know, Terry does not pull any punches, but it's it's definitely a businessy kind of decision. Kind of a you should be paying me more. One of those kinds of and situations Rather than, oh, this guy's impossible to work with, or this guy can't play live, he can't deliver to the goods. No, Terry can play, he can write, he's cool, he's got the long history, but, you know, business. Yeah, we'll get, speaking of business, we'll get back to Stephen Pierce. One thing that I was reminded of that I had forgot that I remembered, or remembered I forgot, but, <laughs> you know, back when Rack got big, I... It wasn't until many, many years later I realized that these guys ran around the same crowd as Van Halen did. They just came in that second wave, so to speak. They came after the fact. I mean, it was after reading, um, you know, uh, it was after reading Renoff's book, if I remember correctly, where I, I put together the fact that George Lynch was around playing. the. I think I may have news for some interviews with George Lynch, but. I mean, George Lynch's band were coming up They uh, in the late 70s. Stephen Pierce was out there clubbing. Yeah. in the So they were contemporaries, even though they didn't break bigger until seven, eight years later. So, I mean, in my mind, they were like always younger. But, you know, Pierce was, uh, was uh, you know, getting high with Dave way back in the day before anybody, I think, realized it and, and, and saw him live and saw it. In other words, he's not, he's not seven or eight years younger, right? I mean, he was, he was hustling in the clubs at the same time Van Halen was. And they had the same first manager, Marshall Burl, both. That's of those right. Bands. And they were both Bill Gazzari. This is going to be the biggest band in the world. Mark my words. You know, they're, they're both Bill Gazzari. Do you know what I'm talking about? Please tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I get it. I, My impression is not offensive, and it's pretty on point. No, no, no. You got it. 
I, you know, I taped an interview with, with Kevin from the band lit and he turns out to have some Van Halen connections, which we'll talk about in a future episode, but he told me something I had no idea about. Now I knew that lit before they were called lit as kids, they were a band called razzle. They were a sunset sunset strip band that almost got signed. And they were the last band that Bill Gazzari did the, this is the next big thing. Lit was the last band. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Th- I guess there were like three after Odin. Maybe one. Do you remember Odin? <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. There was, you know, you could do, a, there was a lot of those bands that just never got to that. I mean, there was the upper tier, right? Rat and Motley Crew. Then there was kind of that mid tier where folks came close, but sold six figures of records, right? And maybe we're a little bit older, maybe we're a little bit younger. Then you had the folks coming in the tailwind of Guns N' Roses, which was kind of post, yeah. uh, at uh, just about the same time when, I mean, what was the biggest crew record by uh, the, um, uh, um, Dr. Feelgood? Dr. Feelgood, that was 87. Feelgood, I think, was 89. Uh, 87, I think, was Girls, Girls, Girls. I think you're right. So somewhere around there. But yeah, so and then you've got like a lower level that maybe did one album, right? Maybe sold in the five figures. And then if they made it that high, you never really heard from them again, right? Floyd. Probably, unfortunately, yeah. And there was some really good bands there, right? So some of them were great. But, you know, to to echo and parrot what you're saying, Rat is one of my favorite hard rock groups of all time i never miss them whatever the lineup is when they come through new york steven is the nicest of nice he was on stage with hagar of all people i guess last month hagar has his i'm gonna bring on my friends and he duetted on rock and roll because piercy's a, a zeppelin diehard he knows a lot about zeppelin which gets into the that interview but he gives a little tease towards the end of the interview that hey i might come out during the dave show because you know piercy is one of those vegas hard rockers that it seems like every hard rock guy is in vegas or nashville these days am i right about that it seems to be that way and then they're all working on some sort of side hustle business too but that's uh that's a, a, a <laughs> that's another revamp of a previous conversation i like hearsay he you know what i love the conversation you have with him it's it i mean first of all you you impressed him a couple times There's a couple things you brought up and he was like he was like yeah but i'm like i mean he it was like almost like two contemporaries talking. It didn't really come across as interview. It was like, uh, now I'm not saying that just to blow smoke. I, I mean, I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, it was a great conversation, my friend. Truly, it was fun. Thank you. I, I like him a lot. That was my third time interviewing him, and hopefully there'll be another one. If there's any topics, if anyone hears this, if anyone is still listening to this, <laughs> uh, send a distress call. Now, if anyone's listening and, and is going, hey, you should have asked about this thing, or you you missed this thing with relation to Rad and Van Halen, please tell us. Chance I might speak with him, or we might speak with him again, and we can get into it then. Right on. Well, on that note, we should yeah. say uh, Stephen Pierce is coming up next. And yeah, again, if you do have uh, some news, some info, some questions, whatever, what might have you, uh, or if you're planning on being in Vegas, folks, and are look and are looking to buy Darren a drink, 
Ugh. Email us at the DLRcast at outlook.com. And we're gonna we we're, as we get close, we're getting really close to this, but we will we will be for sure doing at least one, maybe two episodes for uh with Darren ostensibly live, if not alive at that point in time of the recording, uh <laughs> from Vegas. You know, this all felt like such a great idea months ago. <laughs> it and seemed then, like a good idea at the time. <laughs> and as we get closer, it's like you know, you're really going to see the same exact show seven times. You know that. Well, I won't jump on that. I won't. I. I. I, I won't jump on my familiar refrain here about. We talked about this a bit. Is what ideally what we would love to see, but what we're probably going to see, we'll see some variation in the set list. But as far as a production, as far as it's going to be. If you if you close your eyes, let's put it this way: if you didn't know these were going to be the, supposedly the last shows, if you didn't know, would you would you know if you were there? Probably. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, this could be. Yeah. It's not. I'm not going to say it's. I'm not saying it's not going to be a great show, but will there be anything di- radically different from what we from? Well, will there be anything radically that different from the last time we saw Dave live, and that was you in Vegas, and that was me watching Dave open up for Kiss before if, the pandemic closed everything off. If about 12 songs into the show, he says that he was talking to somebody backstage, and they were asking about the thing that was clipped onto his pants, and that leads into a whole rant about how there's 10,000 hours of calligraphy lessons in Japan, that's when <sighs> I'm be really livid. And <laughs> And hopefully, hopefully he's gotten a few stories since then. Uh, if he starts doing the harmonica thing on that that Kingfish song of the ain't no jam in the peanut butter jar. Uh, doing that, God help us. Yeah, I'm going to be throwing ice cubes. I'm God help us. Into the other shows. We're hoping for the best. I think he's going to sound great. I think the yes. band is going to sound great. I don't think there's yeah. going to be any problems there. Uh, you've been to that venue before, so it does sound good. Um, yeah, and it's a beautiful state-of-the-art venue that I wish we had here in New York. It's the most theater-y club you'll ever go to or the most club-y theater you'll go to. Right on. Well, we're looking forward to hearing your feedback and reviews. And coming up next, we got the mighty Stephen Pierce of Rat. Yeah, well, thank you for listening. Uh, We'll we'll get the energy on my end a little higher in this next episode. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hey, we promise there's more great interviews in the can. We're open to tips, and we're always open to the hey. Why haven't you spoken with Magic Moreno? <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, you know what? We speaking of interviews, we got a whole bunch in the can, and I know this because I've been uploading them. But give a little, give a let's just give a little teaser of what. We might see by the end of the year that we that you uh, uh, a couple of people in the Dave universe, at least one person that's kind of that's been that Dave universe may have played on an album. Yeah, we have a person and a currently unnamed person who sang backup on a little ain't enough, but he has great credits. Otherwise, we have a currently unnamed person who played in Dave's band that is not named Michael Musselman. working on getting another one of those i didn't get a no i got a maybe that one's not in the can but uh long story short there's famous fans there's people who's worked with him 
And there's other people who said yes, but not before January 1st. So if you keep listening, you're going to hear these. Always good stuff. Well, we're gonna looking at the calendar. We'll have at least one, if not two, more episodes before those, uh, before the uh, Las Vegas shows. And if we and and if I would say if like we're three or four days beforehand, and we and some news breaks, some photos, something out there of what this show is really going to be. Someone someone sneaks into a rehearsal, pre-production rehearsal, two days before the show when it's actually when the staging is set at the House of Blues or whatever. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to chat about live, and certainly, like I mentioned, do one when you are in Vegas, and and we'll have to do one immediately after. What give it? Give me the give us the date again. What's the first show you are seeing? New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve. Okay, so New Year's Day, if it's at all possible, New Year's Day. I think we need to do an episode and get you get your uh, on the spot immediately after feedback on it. I'm ready. I'm willing, and I'm. Semi-capable of this. Awesomeness. You always are, my friend. You, you you got to have it, got to have it. That's the bottom line. <laughs> <That's> the bottom. <laughs> oh, man, we are both really beat. I would come up with a witty retort from a lyric somewhere, but I, I'm, I'm, fr- yeah. I'm, I'm fresh out at the moment. So <laughs> You're fresh out of the jam in the jelly jar or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. Always a pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Stephen Piercy for making that one happen. Thanks for the fodder, Diamond Dave. There you go. Enjoy. Take care. Before we started recording, I was complimenting the Nothing to Lose documentary. I think it showed a very unique side of you who you are, where you came from. And the first house that we see you go to is your childhood home. Yeah, it was, uh, we moved there to, to San Diego in like 71, I believe. And it was a culture shock, but yeah, we moved there. Other than that, I, I grew up in, in Los Angeles. Um, but yeah, it was a trip going back there. She didn't expect me at all. <laughs> we just knocked on the door and go, hey, I used to live here. I'm filming a documentary. Do you mind? And she goes, oh, who are you? And I go, blah, blah. She goes, let me call my husband and ask him. She didn't know who I was. I was just some long-haired freak with my wife and 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 Christy and uh, 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 <laughs> uh, cameras and people. And, and, and she was like, kind of freaked her out. And, and and she just calls him and he goes, I know who that is. Let him in. And uh, it was a trip, man. You know, it really was because uh, a lot of shit went down there. Fortunately and unfortunately. Well, well, one of my without giving too much away, my favorite part is that when you're showing her the shed area, you show the wooden <laughs> thing that's on the wall that was actually there from your childhood. That yeah, she- yeah, from... Yeah, when, when Mickey Rat started playing there and then I'd go back there and I, I believe my brother put that up there and it was so it was so weird. It was it was interesting. And, you know, there's a set there used to be a set list written on the wall and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah, so that was a great project that came out during the pandemic. Your live stream event, which we see in the documentary, I had the pleasure of watching and ordering that came out during the pandemic. So you didn't just sit around and do nothing. Did you do any archiving in terms of looking for old material and rehearsals also in that time period? I'm always busy, you know, I mean, 
I can open up the vault here and there's so much stuff in there. Yeah, actually, I mean, you know, even right, like, this is something I put aside because I fucking hate bootleggers. So I squash them with their own shit. <laughs> but I have my own stuff. Like, here's a rat Long Beach Arena 83. I'm going to put that down. And then here's, uh, go sit down. And here's uh, New York 84. You know, I mean, I've got like, hundreds of these and then i have stuff of songs and unfinished songs and and uh you know stuff like that and yeah just tons of stuff yeah i did keep busy i i was putting stuff together but mostly writing and and working on other projects you know mm-hmm. yeah in in the background of the documentary we hear some instrumental tracks that are clearly not rat it's not rat attack or solo kind of stuff so it sounds like you also compose instrumental music yeah i mean like i say i get a every day i try to come in here the the studio office and and i and i write hence you know uh you know try to do something constructive and Instead of pretending I write, <laughs> I mean, I've been writing for so long. Actually, I mentioned to Christy that um, I would, I, you know, all of these old Mickey Rat songs have been popping in my head from like 77, 78. And it, it just comes to me and, and, and I'm like, hey, check this out. This is something I wrote back then. I think I need to work on it again if it just came into my head out of nowhere it's kind of like uh remember me uh can you try that again <laughs> you know so yeah always working and christy who you've mentioned a few times is in the documentary she herself yeah. has a great entertainment industry connection when we hear about what her grandfather did and and so forth was entertainment what first connected you and her like did you know of her family history before you two got involved um, no, I didn't. And there's a lot more than that. But I mean, her grandpa, I mean, has written for everybody from uh, uh, Frank Sinatra to Disney. To, I mean, his stuff is on Andy Griffith. I mean, it, it's just crazy. So we have this great connection. And, and she actually is uh, uh, involved with Topville Entertainment because we're constantly going back and forth working on these things and that are visual. And she's an amazing uh, video person, great camera and, and uh, it, it's good stuff. You know, it's great, great connection. We met uh, actually uh, about uh, having to do with wardrobe and clothes and stuff. So that's how we actually met and it took a bit. Um, but when we finally did, that's it forever, man. Sure. Top fuel. Your company, which yeah. Christy works on with you, it's responsible for your back catalog. It's also responsible for Mike Knuckles. I remember there was a hot sauce that you had through Top Fuel. Has there ever been interest in a beer or the spirits industry? Yeah, you know, every I try to stay away from what everybody was do, is doing or trying to do. That hot sauce was kind of a, you know... Uh, <laughs> they kind of took advantage of the situation. I mean, I created this logo and they ended up taking it and using it for their company. And, and I just kind of went, you're out. Uh, there's always time for that BS, but I, uh, 
Yeah, Top Fuel Entertainment is, is the umbrella for Top Fuel Wear, Top Fuel Vision, Top Fuel Records. Uh, you know, it goes on and on. Uh, you know, it's just a good umbrella. I've been. It, it's taken years. It just it didn't happen. And there's so many uh, spider webs, and that's why it's great to have a partner who is very smart, intelligent uh to help us uh to help me with this you know yes and as we were also talking about before we started recording the live dates start in a couple weeks december 1st so is the focus on your solo uh thing with the rat bastards for the foreseeable future yeah you know i made the mis not a mistake i mean we have so eric ferentino is my lead guitar player of god probably well over 15 years um, we write so much and he knows exactly what I need to hear, what I would entertain besides myself writing songs top to bottom. Um, the record was done. We had written the sixth record, my sixth solo record, just waiting to get in the studio. And then the pandemic thing happened, put that behind. And, and then I made the, the foolery of going, I got so much material. I'm going to do a double record, <laughs> which is very possible. Didn't even do a triple, but my manager's like, "Well, I don't know if you should do that." And uh, so I'm teeter tottering. But if I do release one record for the new record, um, it'll just have a bunch of songs. I'll put like 15 on there or something, you know. And, and, but there's some great material. I mean, some of it is just way aggressive. Some is very gentle, smoothing, soothing, hitcha. There's like back for more kind of sounding stuff. Then there's like heavy, heavy stuff like smash and just a lot of material. I mean, I could wake up and do a riff and go, <laughs> This needs to be on the record. So, and especially if if the lyrics and everything come to me right away. Like mm -hmm. there's a song uh, uh, on the, that's going to be on there called Drive I wrote. The, the lyrics just happened. It's almost like round or wanted man. Uh, sometimes lyrics, they just flood in. And then there's the song. And, and I don't nitpick because you're really going to use the you're going to uh, lose the real, uh, um, you know, meat and potatoes of the song, you know? I mean, if you sit and just go over it and over it and over it, yeah, it, it's not what I'm into, you know? I don't, I don't want to be perfect, nor am I. <laughs> so I don't intend my music to be either. It needs to be... Uh, Dangerous, but worth the risk. You know, I, I see what you did there. That was a good pun. Uh, <laughs> uh, you said round and round right there. Something didn't occur to me until about nine months ago. And I'm wondering if I'm right or wrong about this. The yeah. part of round and round where you say dig, was that yeah. an homage to Dancing Days by Zeppelin? Oh, you got that right. Okay. Yes. yes. I fact, never. I, yeah, I just, yeah, <laughs> you caught it. Yeah, yeah. It, it only took me 35 years or something like that. Got it. Yeah. No, one other stupid trivia question for you. Uh, the middle name of Steve Harris from Iron Maiden is Percy. So he's Steve oh. Percy. Has that ever come up in conversation? 
No, but do you know Robert Plant's nickname is Percy? I didn't know that. I and I actually had the uh, very fortunate to run into him at a hotel lobby, Plant and his band. Uh, and one time, I don't know if I tell the story in the book, um, but I'm doing another book, by the way. We'll see. We'll oh. see. But um, there's going to be a lot more element to that than just pussy party paycheck. Free uh, <laughs> peas. <laughs> Robin created that. I just went with it. But uh, I ran into him and I'm like, well, first I'm checking into the hotel. And usually we go right to the gift shop, grab a couple rags, see what's happening. And this is in England. And some festival, because there's a shitload of bands there, I'm crowded. And some fan came up to me and he goes, oh, great. Can I have your autograph? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And he goes, wow, I have my uh, uh, two favorite singers autographs. I'm like, well, that's cool. He goes, yeah, Robert Plant and you. And I go, well, that's even better. He goes, yeah, he's right over there. <laughs> I turned into a fan, right? It was like 86, 87. And I go, get the fuck out of the way. So I get rid of him. Right? And I go right up to, to, to plant, no shit. And I go, man, I, I just want to say hello. I'm a fan. I, I'm not going to bug you. I'm here doing a show. He's like, no, 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 no problem. I go, hey, Stephen Piercy. And, and what blew me away is, is he goes, I don't know who you are. Because I've been talking about him for years and my love for the band and and he goes, yeah, yeah. And I go, Percy, Percy. <laughs> anyway, he goes, here, do me a favor. He goes, I, I, I want to do a kick on my guitar player, Robbie Blunt. I wonder if he remembers this. Robbie Blunt, his guitar player. He goes, hide over here. He goes, stand over here behind this pillar thing and in the hotel. And I'm going to tell him that because he's talking about leaving the band or something and that. I'm going to, you know, look for another guitar player or something. And uh, he goes, and when I say this, just pop out or something. Well, no shit. Of course, I'm going to do what he says, right? And it was just brilliant. And then sure enough, Blunt pops up. Hey, Robert. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, man, you know, so-and-so, I guess you're, I, I kind of don't remember the topic. It was it something had to do with a singer or a guitar player. But I was in, uh, he, he wanted me in on this joke and, and uh, with this guitar player. And then it was all said and done. It was like, hey, okay. And I'm like, holy shit, I cannot believe this just happened. Thank you very much. And uh, if there's a bucket list, he's the only guy that I have left, you, you know, to, to, you know, jam with. Uh, you know, I would love to have the opportunity. I mean, <laughs> You know, one thing about being a fan and in the business is, you know, getting to meet some of your idols, idols, I hate that word, some of your peers and your your peers. And uh, he is, Robert is one that I would love to, to sing with. I mean, I recently jammed with Sammy uh, uh, here in Vegas, uh, Halford did a, a, a jam with Halford. That was amazing. Uh, so many guys. I mean, that's one of the uh, what do you call it of the uh perks. Our business? 
perks, you know, yeah, yeah. And of the business and, and it's brilliant. I mean, Alice Cooper, I've jammed with, I mean, you'd never think you'd ever do this or let alone meet them, right? And then these brilliant guitar players, you know, uh, which interests me more, you know, and, and one main, one thing I did accomplish was being able to, my band to play with Van Halen. I used to harass Eddie so much. Let my band play for you. It was like, it was like uh, uh, Brett Michaels when they were pretty much just a club band, and 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 I'd take them out and party and whatever, and him going, just let my band open, just once, just once, and we did, and we created the monster, uh, <laughs> but uh, so you know, really interesting, you know. Very interesting. See, I think you might be the only person besides Steve Lukather who got along with Sammy Hagar, Eddie, and David Lee Roth. <laughs> well, I'm not real tight with Dave. I'm gonna go see him when he comes here. You know, we're you know we're friends. You know, we go way back. If it wasn't for him smoking a joint with me, I wouldn't have never met Ed. And I was so into the guitars when I went to the whiskey. That whole story. I just wanted to meet Ed because I, you know, I was a guitar, mostly a guitar guy, even though I sang and Mickey Rat was happening. Not yet in L.A. I didn't move to L.A. until 1980. You know, I think I met them around 76 or no, I met them around 78, right before the record and stuff. I'd watch them at the whiskey and sit on the stage cross-legged fucking blew my mind you know and i'd always say let my band open up even that but and it wasn't even up to him and then one day we did open up at some festival with them and it was fucking amazing thank you and you know <laughs> when you talk about seeing van halen you know at that point in time they were polished they weren't doing the five sets a night 45 minute cover kind of thing they were on the cups uh cup uh cusp that's a hard word to say of start. Yeah. Now you said before, you know, you're a guitar player and we do see in your nothing to lose documentary. You have a poster of Jimmy page on the wall when you're a kid, not Robert plant. So again, you're a guitar player, but did David Lee Roth influence you as a front man or is it really just all Eddie? No, Dave influenced everybody that was, you know, coming out of the eighties. How could you not? You know, I, I mean, I, like I said, I'd introduce Robin and Tommy and Chris, all my friends to the band. And, and we'd literally go see him, trade gear, go to Ed's house. You know, I mean, it was fucking brilliant. They weren't really quite huge. They were just getting there, you know, because I had seen them before and not too many people in, in the crowd, you know. And then I'd see him and it, the whiskey, you know, I saw him at the tail end is is what happened there hmm. and to witness that then i'd go back and tell my guys in san diego because i was in mickey Rat san diego you know there's this band up there that's gonna just change the fucking planet you know first zeppelin did uh seeing them in 73 and 5 i saw them twice in 73 and once in 75 in san diego sports arena that was a big awakening right there and then you know and then van halen uh, seeing them in the clubs and i wish i did see him at the uh 
you know, the backyard parties, but I was too busy doing my own backyard parties down there until I eventually went, nothing's going to happen down here, guys. <laughs> we got to get the fuck up to LA. That's where it's all woohoo. Yeah. yeah. Well, one other tie that you have that I'm super curious about is Rat had a song that was co-written with Terry Kilgore on one of the albums. And Terry went on to play with David Lee Roth on and off for what seems like five years or so. How did you guys know Terry Kilgore? Um, that was, that's the guitar player that everybody's saying Eddie got. Yeah, the finger tapping. Tapping or whatever. I don't know if that's all that true. I'm not that big of a guitar nerd to know that kind of <laughs> shit. You know, um, I don't know if we did, uh, wrote a song. If we did, well, that's good, but I don't, I don't recall, you know, put it this way. There's people out there <laughs> Let's say they were in rats and Mickey Rat. I don't know who the fuck these people are, so they can just fuck off, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just know I was in the band. <laughs> well, bringing everything full circle here, the last thing that I'm curious about, I watched Neil's Lowe's Hours documentary, which you were in, and a yeah. good number of the scenes he's wearing top fuel t-shirt so obviously yeah. you and he are still close and pretty yeah. much the two most talked about bands in that are van halen and rat so did him working with van halen have to do with rat working with him or is it just that was the same scene um you know i'd have to think about that one we were introduced to him probably through an early van halen gig um he got wind of us in 82 and we when we were doing the uh the art were no i know where it was our manager marshall burrell actually managed van halen picked them up at the whiskey just like rat in the early days and managed them for i believe the first record and that's where that came from meeting slows we love Slows. Slows is uh, amazing uh, human, great guy. Love him to death. But that's how we met him, and came up with these wacky ideas. Throw the rats on her leg. I believe it was Slowsy who uh, who actually instigated that whole throw the rats on her. You know, and we'll take because he did the cover. Yeah, we met him through Marshall Burrell. That's where that association came. And Marshall also managed the Jerky Boys. So, hey, Alan, <laughs> Rat, the Jerky Boys. Does it get better than her <laughs> roster? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, Marsh. Yeah, we call him Marsh. Yeah. Uh, interesting times, man. Exactly. So we'll get this posted within the next week to promote the upcoming gigs and all that. Did we cover all the topics you want or did, did I miss anything here? Yeah, well, you know, uh, like I say, it's it's, you know, through the you know, forget the pandemic. We were working, Eric and I, and I was writing music. Um, and actually uh, did the uh, stream concert. I actually wanted the band Rat to do it. Thank God we didn't. Uh, but, you know, my whole thing is, man, I'd rather have the originals, I, you know, doing certain things. Like the Geico commercial, thank God that happened. Or, you know, we'd be sitting around uh, uh, during the pandemic, but at least we were out. Somebody brought up the other day, 
I did an interview and they were like, yeah, well, you guys were actually playing in the, during the pandemic with the Geico commercial. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. So yeah, uh, you're correct. Early, early into the pandemic, I would say one in every six commercials we saw on TV on Hulu, on whatever it was, was that commercial. So it did keep rat alive in a really great way, but it's great to see Pete Holmes and Jordan Ziff and you and Juan, you know, mm. the, the people that are willing to do the work. And now that I think about it, the second to last concert I saw before the pandemic was David Lee Roth in Vegas and Jordan Ziff was there. And mm. I said, hey, you know, love rap. What are you doing here? And I said, um, I'm here to uh, see my friend. Oh, who's your friend? And it's now your second guitar player who's in rap. Yeah, he played with Dave. And I actually asked him if he was going to do that. And he's like, nah, there's nothing I would like more than to have us all, you know, or the majority of us on stage, you know, and, and uh, give it one more kick. It's not like I'm going to break my ass trying to do it because I know how, you know, dysfunctional we can be. And going through all these people and different people coming in and out is not what we had in mind when we created the band, when everybody was together. And I really don't call it rats with, you know, myself and a bass player. Uh, so that's where that's at. And it's honest. And, and I have no reason to not be honest. I hate bullshitting people. And I don't intend to start now, you know. <laughs> I appreciate everybody who goes to the shows. I have much better time playing with my solo band because I have such a, a different catalog. And I can play arcade. And, hey, Fred Curry, who I just talked to today from arcade, come, in, come out. Uh, the whiskey's going to be a good gig. February 11th, uh, we're going to film that, stream it. It'll be a live audience, and there's going to be a ton of cool stuff and going on there. So people should really, if you're in town or you're L.A., uh, it might be a gig you really want to see. Well, whenever you're in the New York metro area, I will be there, whether it's you solo, whether it's rap, whatever it is. I thank you for your time and the many years of great music, Stephen. And brother, I appreciate it. And you know what? To this day, I still have a great time going round and round. I love pe meeting people, you know, and, and I still get a kick out of, you know, why I was picked to do what I do. I should be racing cars, and but maybe that wouldn't have lasted too long, you know. But uh, this has, and thank God, and I'm enjoying it, but I have a great time. I do want to slow down a bit and we'll see what happens. Maybe you'll see me out here following Sam and Dave and uh, <laughs> God, everybody else who's coming through here. You got Bruce Dickinson, you got Scorpions, you got, you know, uh, you name it. I'm in the right place at the right time.